Echo. Let's see if it comes it's through here. Rude grooms in a cave. Rude grooms in a cave, cave. Rude grooms in a cave, cave, cave. Rude grooms in a cave. Rude grooms in a cave, cave, cave. Cave, 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 cave. Cave, 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 cave. That's the intro. We don't need Kara. There it is. Hello, everybody. I am Monty, the master of the Rebels for the Rude Grooms. Hi, everybody. I'm Daniel Kemper, master of casting and company management for Rude Grooms. And today on this episode of This Wooden O, we have a very special guest. She is an actor, a director, a choreographer, a producer, a wardrobe person, all of these things in one because she is an elementary school theater teacher. Welcome, Nicole Carlson. Hi. Hi. Oh, my goodness. Yay. Hello. Hi. Just literally all the hats in one building. E- all of them. Every how, single one. How do you do it? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of um, pre-planning and literally just like thinking through little things that you didn't think you'd have to think through and then failing miserably and then picking yourself back up. That sounds completely different from the professional world. Oh, yeah. yeah right? No, Very not different. at all. No similarities Not at, at all similar. Not even a little bit. Nicole and I actually work together at our day job where I'm also an elementary school chi- uh, chess teacher. She's she could actually, be a chess teacher. I mean, Ron <laughs> definitely went to teacher. school at some point. Brianna loving Shakespeare. It's my favorite thing. I know. I love <laughs> it so much. There's a... Um, there's a fourth grade girl in our school whose name is Brianna. And there was one day last year where Nicole was going to be out of town. And she was like, hey, would you mind taking my fourth grade theater elective into chess for the day? Or like just bringing them in on your period? And I was just like, they're in the Shakespeare unit. And I was like, <laughs> would I? <laughs> of course I would. <laughs> so I was like, oh, they like Shakespeare? I'm going to show them Shakespeare. Like that's what we're going to do. So I had them two days that week. The first day that I had them we watched the BBC adaptation of Mackers uh, starring Patrick Stewart. Oh. Yeah. Oh, the the one one that was at BAM. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where he makes the sandwich while he's talking to the murderers. Yeah. I love that It's the one one. that's like in, it's set like in a, in a World War II-esque area. Right, right, right. And so I showed- Like vaguely Soviet. Exactly. So I showed this to the fourth graders and they were just like, oh my God, what is happening? Sorry, I'm peeking the microphone. It's like, what has happened? The nurses are witches. I don't understand. That guy's dead and now he's not. What's So I did that one day. And then the next time that I saw them, I showed them Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet. Because <laughs> of course he does. Because of course I did. That's the movie that changed everything. It's, it really is. And I remember them getting super invested because of the the opening brawl scene mm-hmm. that takes place in a gas station mm-hmm. with guns. Oh my God, it's so good. It's so good. But I, I even remember specifically, we got- bum, down, down, down. It's in my head every time I bring it up. But bum, there's- down, down. No, this is good because this describes the moment I'm talking about. Yes. So there's the scene where after the brawl and Lord Capulet is talking to Benvolio about where Romeo is and they go to Venice Pier, Verona Pier, and you see there's a close, the first time you Verona's see- Verona's in the Veneto. Exactly. Duh. So the first time you see Leo, Leo is like 90s boy band hair and the big collars and the leisure mm-hmm. suit and he's like taking a drag off the cigarette and mm-hmm. pulls in right to his face, like a dead close up of his face. And I remember hearing Brianna specifically go, 
Oh, he's cute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we're like, that's the point. <laughs> you understand, Brianna. You get it. Nicole, fun fact. Nicole is actually my boss. She actually, when we, uh, when I told her about this podcast, she's like, so subordinate. When am I going to be on? <laughs> I'm absolutely kidding. That did not happen. Subordinate yeah. also kind of sounds like it could be a superhero name. Like it'd be a really weird superhero universe. The badass hero subordinate he shows up saves the day and then is never around to receive any of the accolades and he always stays at the same level he never moves up yeah he <laughs> well he, maybe so subordinate comes in right but can't throw a punch unless the person he's coming to help says please throw a punch so he has to be he's, basically it's like when you're dealing with subordinate against a supervillain it's like playing a real world video game oh god so you only survive if you're really good at giving subordinate direction. Were we we having a conversation a while back about like really inconvenient superpowers to have? Yes. That would be one of them. Like if you were an incredibly strong superhero, but you couldn't intervene unless invited by a superior. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You actually like, imagine being a member of the Justice League and you can't, you can't actually help save the world unless like Superman is like, all right, I want you to go over there and specifically do this task. Oh God, not su- no one wants to listen to Superman. No, he sucks. No one wants to listen to Superman, Mm-mm. but like bat- who's going to give you, in- who's going to give you directions to do that? Batman? Batman's too much like go along your own path. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Don't bother me. <laughs> I have to eat some vicious swaz. Alfred made it for me special. And brood over my parents' grave at midnight <laughs> in the rain. All with that annoying voice. So, well, I think we know what Matt Reeves' Batman's movie is going to be about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Moving on, <laughs> for the sake of our future jobs. Yes, <laughs> you are in the middle of a thing. I at the am. Moment. What are you working on right now? So, I am working on putting seventy children in Willy Wonka kits, and <laughs> this sounds like my personal hell. Yes, <laughs> and uh, just yeah. to add. You can't see it, but I'm going to describe it. Monty just turned away from the microphone. I think his hairline receded about a good half an inch. His, like, <laughs> ten gray hairs sprouted. Oh, well, yeah. But look, I think they have, I yeah. think they've come into my beard. <laughs> I could feel them. It was like, there's little pops on my oh, chin. Oh, yeah. And uh, just to further add agitation onto this, how old are the children? Oh, um, <laughs> the youngest one is nine, some uh-huh. of them, and the oldest one is like 11. That is actually my favorite age range because it's like before they become exactly the worst and but exactly. when they're actually capable of like engaging in some interesting artistic questions. Exactly. They're thinking about the world around them a little bit, but yeah. they don't care so much what other people think yet. Yes. Except like now with the thing of like TikTok and oh like God. puberty yeah. happening earlier and earlier, it's really interesting. They are starting to care more about what people think of them earlier, than hmm. sh- which is something wow. that is new to me. So do they all have cell phones even at nine? Fourth graders. Not the third graders really, but all the fourth graders. When and was they it? all okay. have TikTok. When, when did you get your first cell phone? I didn't get my first cell phone until the 10th grade. Wow. Sophomore year of high school. And that was strictly emergencies only. Yep. Yeah. I got mine in 10th grade and I only got a phone once I was driving and mm. it was purely for that purpose. See, I'm a little different. I got mine in fifth grade. What? Because I lived in the city of Chicago and uh, I would have to walk me and my little sister home sometimes yeah. if my grandpa like had a doctor's appointment that ran late and he just didn't show up to dismissal. Yeah. I'd have to like call my mom and be like, yo mom, we're walking right. home now. I'll call you when we get there. 
hang up, walk, 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 walk there, call her from the house phone. But you oh, weren't yeah. TikToking on no, the way No, home. no, no. Never. It was literally just my mom's phone number in the phone. And that's <laughs> was, the, oh, was, <laughs> it, was it a flip phone? <laughs> yes, it was, yeah. a, it was a little baby flip phone and yep. I could only call my mother. I couldn't even text. It was the one that I had. Yeah, I couldn't text either. It, oh, was, yeah. like a, it was like a Nokia. It wasn't even a flip phone. It was like the chunky Nokia thing. Or like Kia whatever the Sarah, cheapest thing. whatever things that were just like a single tablet. Exactly. Yeah. It was literally just like the beacon for the mother, talk to the mother, hang that's up. Right. Oh yeah. It was basically an electronic umbilical cord. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So you've got to, in addition to putting on an entire production, uh-huh. a musical no less, yes. you now have to compete with the internet uh-huh. for their focus. Yes. How? Because my brain hurts thinking about how to make that happen. Are their phones on during class or They're not supposed to be. I do a thing where I have them put them all on my desk if I see it. Like if I see the phone, you bring it up here. Ooh, and then it's on public display. Exactly. So it's even more humiliating. Exactly. So now it's here. And then... Um, Leveraging exactly. their own insecurities against them. Exactly. I like it's it. right there. And when a person comes to pick them up, I hand it right to the person. I'm like, so you know your child had this phone out during theater. It's theoretically not supposed to be in school, period. I, I went and I looked it up in the really? parent handbook. I found it and I put it on my smart board. So if any of the children have any questions about the cell phone policy. I'm going to start doing that. Yes. Particularly for the fourth graders mm-hmm. and after school. Yeah. And so I don't give it back to them. I give it back to the parent. And the parent's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. They know this is only for emergencies. And I'm like, right. yeah, well, they were um, TikToking on it. So uh, Look, sometimes you just have to TikTok. If you, like, it's it really is important. an emergency and you cannot help it. You must. I understand this. You just have to TikTok. Do you? You yes. have to lip sync. I'm not even a part of the TikToking generation. I've just figured out the functionality Dude, of Instagram awesome, stories. But you, you, know, you don't have TikTok? No. Do you no. have TikTok? I have it through like my the kids at school. I There's like some really cool theirs. stuff on TikTok. Is like, it? I'm I'm definitely a TikToker. Really? Yeah. I have them show me. Okay, so wait a minute. The idea of trying to get 70 people together to do a production in any capacity is a gigantic task, mm-hmm. especially when they're all under the age of 12. Yes. How do you even begin that process? So I'm really like thankful in that I've known these kids since kindergarten. Okay. Oh, so wow. since kindergarten, they've had this um, sense of professionalism instilled in them of like, mm-hmm. this is how I walk onto a stage. This is how I perform on a stage. And this is how I exit the stage. You have a sense of professionalism. You take this seriously. There's a lot of expectations of you. People are like your family took the morning off of work to come see you. People are here for you. You want to make sure that you're putting your best self out there at all times mm-hmm. and putting in your best effort. So from the age of like four, that's a thing that's in their brains. And then by the time I have them at like seven or eight, they're kind of like, well, I'm part of the ensemble. I have to do this right. I have to make a quiet transition backstage or I ruin it for the entire team. Or someone would teach adult professional actors these lessons. Like for real though. Can you tell yes. me a little bit about, to be interested to hear like what this institution is like? Yeah. So from the age of kindergarten, kindergarten through second grade, they have, depending on which success academy they go to, they have different kind of specials there. So it's almost like a magnet then. Yes. So like ours has chess, sports, art, theater. Some of the other success academies have dance, theater, music, and soccer. So it really depends on which one you go to, what kind of experience you get. 
do they get to choose based on their interests or is it just kind of like it's about the lottery so they can enter their kid to multiple schools in the success academy lottery but basically whichever school you get into slash is closest to your house is probably the one that you're going to go to say you really want your kid to go to a theater program you would enter into all the ones that have theater and they tell you that from the from the start from your application process. So so in a way, there is, but it's also democratic in a way. Exactly. So that's really cool. But some schools are very privileged and have music, dance, and theater, which is amazing. Yeah. Our school only has theater because we don't have that big of an enrollment population, mm-hmm. whereas some other schools have like six hundred kids. Ours has like half that, three hundred. Right. So because of that, we only get one performing art. They have each special class mm-hmm. once a week. So for a Monday, they might have chess. On the Tuesday, they might have art. On the Thursday, they might have theater. And then on a Friday, they might have sports. And then Wednesday's a half day. Mm -hmm. You only have sports one day a week? Yeah. But they have recess every day. Yeah, they have recess every day. Mm -hmm. But a specific sports class that's like focused, this one is focused specifically this year on basketball. basketball. There's other stuff that happens there, Mm -hmm. but it's all within the idea of like, this is the basketball unit. Because the idea is that they get really good at basketball to then get a basketball scholarship. Okay, cool. And get money to go to college to do this thing. Same way like applies, I'm sure, to the theater program as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you had the experience of seeing a kid in kindergarten who you can just kind of tell yes right away that like you want to make sure that you nurture and you focus with them to make sure that they are on a theater track going forward a hundred percent what do you look for so it's the kid who is gonna take a risk Mm. that's even that that's it like they're willing to get on stage and take a risk it's not even about oh you talk good (laughs) (laughs) you talk real loud no it's about the kid who's willing to put themselves out there and make big choices and take a risk do you find that the kids who are exhibiting that kind of behavior early on tend to stick with it if i point it out as a good thing Hmm. If I'm like, oh my gosh, you're doing this thing that's incredible that most adult actors really struggle with, here we go, then they really lean into it. That's such a funny thing, right? Because I've there's always like one person, maybe it's a theater teacher, maybe it's uh-huh. another actor who like is the first person to tell you like, hey, here's this thing that I do and I'm really good at it and I'm telling you you're really good at this. Mm-hmm. You should keep on doing it. And then that. unfortunately, once you're an adult and working professionally, people tend to stop saying those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's one of the I think it's one of the reasons why depression is so like widespread. Hmm. And most directors will honestly admit that, like, oh, I forget to give you the the notes on when you did good. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, have you always did you always want to be involved in theater education specifically? Was that no. No? Mm-mm. Okay, how did that come about? So I was in high school, and I was like, I'm going to acting school, mother. And she, <laughs> Please and she tell was me like, with that voice. Yes, I did, obviously. Yes. And she was like, okay, well, what's your fallback? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I guess I'll add education to it. Then I got to college, majored in acting, and then I minored in education, but the minor in education was really another major because I got certified. Mm-hmm. So... After I graduated, I was like, I'm moving to New York and I'm going to be an actor and it's going to be great. So is, is that certification national or is it state by state? Um, because it's Massachusetts, it's basically national. What does that mean? Because Massachusetts is the hardest to get. Because they specifically make you take a math teaching test, mm-hmm. which no other state makes you take. Okay. <laughs> um, so I got the Massachusetts one, came to New York Success Academy was like, hey, we have spots in our master's program. You want in? And I was like, sure. So I was 
I taught kindergarten. And then from there, I went to my then principal and I was like, so I'm an actor and I'd really love to start a theater program. We have an okay dance program, but I can give you a fabulous theater program. Mm. And he was like, hmm, let's go, let's go look at other theater programs at Success Academy. Yeah. We only found one. Mm -hmm. There was only one other one. We went and we looked at it. And after we left, he was like, let's do it. I know you can make this up amazing. So we started it. And then from there, we've now grown to 30 programs. Oh, and my you've, God. You've essentially overseen this. Or yes. like you are the brainchild to make this happen. Yes. So how many students total Teak have theater. you just impacted by oh, making uh, this theater program? Thousands. Yeah. That's incredible. That's, yeah. that's beautiful. How did you know? Because your background was in theater performance mm-hmm. when you studied at college. Mm-hmm. So you didn't really have like the intellectual infrastructure to be like, I know how to build and run a program. I knew how to write curriculum. Okay. So how to write like a basic K through 12 common core standards based curriculum with different units in there for a homeroom classroom. Yeah. But I kind of used my knowledge from building a curriculum and I've been and I've been thinking about like how to make a great actor. Mm-hmm. Like what are things a great actor needs? What are units that would help create this great actor? What did that original list look like? Because you are a theater teacher and you've expanded the program from one to 30 programs. Mm-hmm. So you really do have a blueprint. Yeah. The first one is ensemble. Literally, the first unit is ensemble building. Oh, wow. And, and what, if, do you, what, yeah. what do you teach in that unit? What, what, do, what does ensemble mean to you? So it's about working together as a team, but we always say ensemble because every time they say team, I'm like, what's the theater word for that? And they're like, <laughs> ensemble. Yeah. We usually go ensemble. <laughs> ensemble. So we go from there and we then we do inclusive grouping and exclusive grouping. So inclusive grouping would be like, make groups of more than two. Everyone can be a part of the group. Right, exactly. No one has to sit down. Oh, now we have to make groups of two. If you are not in a group of two, you sit down calmly in this other spot and we wait until it's our time. I forgot about that game. Yes. And I want to start crying right now because <laughs> that is how scarred I feel by this game. <laughs> I literally, the pit of my stomach just fell out. Yeah. Taylor Tomlinson has a great bit in her stand-up where she was like, I was what my parents call, or I was what adults called an old soul in school. That was code word for loser. Any of you who think you, who might think you weren't losers in, uh, in school, you think that you were one of the cool kids. We're going to do a little exercise. And she goes, all right, who's? it's time for us now. Get ready to partner up. Nope. She's like, yeah, did you just get a little twinge of anxiety? Did you just have a little flashback? Guess which group you belong to. That's right. <laughs> so we do that activity as part of ensemble building. And basically, we do that activity until everyone is willing to say yes and just sit. Mm-hmm. Because if you have any kind of reaction, any kind of like, oh man, or like a, uh, yeah. then it's like, oh, our ensemble isn't that strong because we're not willing to be there for each other and like work together at all costs. So then we, we stop the game and we try it the next time. How long does that usually take before they get a sense of ensemble? Typically we get through it in about two, three classes. Okay. Wow. That seems much shorter than I would assume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How long are the classes? 40 minutes. Once a week. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these, but the, these are kids, like I said, I've seen them since kindergarten. We have like m- leading up to that times where they can kind of practice failing safely. 
So it's mm. not as like as big of a production. So after ensemble then comes what? I guess like acting skills and techniques. So I usually do um, typically like body, like physicality, mm-hmm. voice, and then creating an imagine elsewhere. So like the where. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I literally look at the group of kids I have and I decide which units make sense for them. Sometimes it's puppetry, sometimes it's Shakespeare, sometimes it's mask, sometimes it's improv, sometimes it's costume design. How do you gauge from group to group what they each need? I kind of see like what skills we're at a deficit at, and then from there I pick the unit that's gonna match where we're at. So for example, if it's a group of kids who is struggling with physicality, and finding their themselves in their bodies, mask. We're gonna do mm-hmm. mask. If it's a group of kids who really inherently gets subtext, really inherently like is drawn to a story and characters and other worlds, we're gonna do Shakespeare. If it's a group of kids who needs another thing to perform well, like has to take themselves out of it and is like, no, it's not me performing, mm-hmm. then we're doing puppetry. Have you been able to like codify a methodology for reading what a group needs? Or is that, is that still basically like instinctual teacher to teacher? When you look at the group, I would first think about how they are as an ensemble. And then from there, you think about how these different acting skills you taught, how they've done at them. And like some theater teachers go back and forth with me on this. I'm very big in assessment in the theater classroom because, and not just like a, we're taking a test, we're getting on stage and you're doing a monologue and I'm rating you. No, it's like, I write down the skill and then from there I literally put how they did on the skill. Like if we mastered it, if we're still working on it or if it it needs a lot of work. So then I can kind of just as a class look holistically and be like, oh my gosh, we were not doing so good in the ensemble unit. So I think we need to do ensemble 2.0. Maybe that means improv. And how regularly are you making entries in that? I try to do at least five kids once a class. But then our electives, oh, so in third and fourth grade, they pick two. Oh. Mm-hmm. So the kids who I'm doing this musical with see me twice a week. So with the way that the electives work is at the beginning of the year, all of the specialist teachers will come to the third and fourth grade classes and essentially will give them a survey mm-hmm. because we're getting them used to the idea of picking their own schedule, like choosing mm-hmm. their schedule. Mm-hmm. So we tell them you're allowed to take two electives this year. You get to sign up for the ones that you want. You put them in order of preference. We try to weight it as much as we can toward giving you your first and second choices, but you will only have two out of the four electives this year. For the whole year, yeah. And then the third and fourth graders get theater twice a week, and which is why I can do a musical with them because I see them for 80 minutes and I much prefer seeing them in like 40 minute spurts because of their attention spans. Cause everyone's right. like, why don't you just do, um, only Wednesday club. We have Wednesday clubs for like two hours. Um, they're like, you should just do your Wednesday club as your musical. Cause you see them for two hours. And I'm like, but their attention span goes away after half an hour. Right. So the 40 minutes is great for rehearsal. Cause it's like, we're, we do our warm up. We're in, we cool down. We're done. I remember my school, like the entire time from mid middle school until I graduated high school, they kept, every year they were like, we're going to switch to block scheduling next year. Um, and I think especially as like young dudes, our attention spans just could not stretch that far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember even in college, like even at 1920, like not for a lack of really wanting to pay attention. After there was 45, only so 50 much minutes, bandwidth that yeah. you mm-hmm. devote to it. 
And it's gotten shorter. Right. There's a thing that I teach new theater teachers and just like new, like specifically new theater teachers of like, you take the age of your youngest kid in the class. So if it's kindergarten, that's probably four. Four plus one is five. Every five minutes, we need to do something different. Whether it's going from sitting to standing, it's just like a con, like that's their attention span. Hmm, A four-year-old can really only sit for five minutes. After five minutes, you've lost them. They're typically wiggling. They're looking around the room. They're, they start asking for the bathroom. They mm-hmm. start asking for water. Mm-hmm. Again, so, sounds so different from professional actors. <laughs> very different. Five minutes, they're definitely asking for the bathroom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thousand percent. It's like, yes. I haven't read a line in five minutes. I'm going to go walk over to the mm-hmm. water cooler. I need to go to the snack machine. But actually. <laughs> <laughs> so what is, how do you run a room differently when it is just introduction to theater and how to be a good actor versus I have to take your skill set now and we have to put it toward a production. I really try to run it like a professional rehearsal. And I tell them like, this is what the professional world is like. This is a professional rehearsal. If you try to audition for Lion King right now, I've had a few kids get to the final callbacks for Lion King, which mm-hmm. is why I always say Lion King. Yeah, I try to run it as much like that as possible. And I'm very big on if you were doing this behavior or something in a professional room, they'd ask you to leave and they'd call in the next kid. It wouldn't be you. So I really try to make it as professional as possible, while also keeping in mind they're seven, they're eight, they're right. like, this is the first time they're experiencing this. And at its core, right. I want them to love, like love slash appreciate theater. Speaking of auditions, one of the things that, Ooh. do you ever, do you teach audition techniques? That is a thing that typically comes toward the end of second grade. How do you go about teaching audition technique to a seven-year-old. How does that look? We have our monologue. We have our story. We have whatever we're using. It basically roots itself in stage presence and being comfortable with what you're reading. If you're doing it cold, being able to look up and be grounded. I do this thing called tag in my classroom where they give each other feedback. So the T is tell what you enjoyed about the performance. A is ask a question. G is give a suggestion. So nothing. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Tell us yeah. what you enjoyed. Ask a question. Give, give a, suggestion. a suggestion. Give a suggestion. That's Tell so good. Tell what you good. enjoyed. Ask a question. Give a suggestion. I, what I love about that is it is all in the service of continued growth exactly. for the person whose whose turn it is to go. Exactly. There's nothing. There's nothing that's negative. Nothing's about negative that. at it. We don't say I don't like this. Right. We're very like I think next time you could make this choice. Mm-hmm. and rooting it like that and not being like, this was bad. In K through four, it's mostly when you tag, you do one of them. So you do the T, you do the A, you do the G. In middle school, you have to do all three. So toward the end of fourth grade mm-hmm. is where I switch them over to what middle school is like, where I I would be like, tag Daniel, and Daniel would have to do all three. Whereas like K through the beginning of fourth, I say like, tag Monty, and you just have to do the T. And then you call the other kid, tag Daniel, Daniel would just do the A. I would assume that inevitably there is going to be a moment where a negative comment or like a negative critique comes out, even though that's not the intention that's been put forward. Mm -hmm. So how do you address and correct that? I ask them about it. I'm just like, why'd you, why would you say that? And then I want to like see where the kid is coming from. I want to see if they're coming from a place of, 
I'm trying to hurt this kid's feelings or I actually don't know how to express my thought and this is just the way I'm expressing it. Mm -hmm. So I start off with a question and then from there, depending on what they were trying to do, we can correct course from there. Typically, so you ask yeah. a question and then give a yeah. suggestion. Yes, I do. So you're tagging the taggers. Exactly. Yeah. The biggest thing that happens is like kids laughing when another kid is vulnerable. Mm. It's typically one kid. Okay. And then I usually stop and again, ask a question. I'm like, why are you laughing? And from there, depending on what they say, I sometimes if they're like, well, it was funny and they're like trying to be mean, then I'm like, we never do that in here. That's not supporting other actors. That's mm. not kind. That's not being an ensemble member. Mm -hmm. But if they're like, oh, I just really connected with that, then I'm like, oh, okay. I notice if it's like a thing, like if they keep mm. doing it, then I'm like, okay, now I've kind of lost a little trust in you. You keep laughing during these things, which makes me think I can't, I can't put all the trust I had in you yeah. in you. And now we we come to rehearsal. Yes. You got rehearsal with 78 to 11 year olds. Mm -hmm. Can you please stop? <laughs> please. <laughs> so you have these eight, you have these eight to 11 year olds. Oh God. Scores of them. Oh God. <laughs> and you've How gotta, much whiskey are you allowed to consume during these rehearsals? <laughs> and you've got to put on a show now. So how do you go and take this this culture that you've built and say, no, we have a job to do now. Mm -hmm. The nice thing is that K through two, they've all done, in kindergarten, they do a show. Okay. In first grade, they do a show. They do a show in kindergarten? It's not a, like a musical. It's like I get up and I sing a song. That's still incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I either dance to a song or I sing to a song. Maybe I can do both, but we're not sure. And then in first grade, it's I can do both. I sing my song and I dance to my song. I still can't do that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then in second grade, it becomes um, we're typically doing short plays. Do you devise them? Or are they pre-written pieces? Some are devised, some are pre-written. It all depends on like the theme we're going with. So right now for this year's, we're not sure if we're going to do fairy tales. We're going to do stories from around the world. But in the past, we've done fables. So they like know that there's a show. They know there is an expectation. But in third and fourth grade, and I tell them also when they're signing up for electives, I'm like, this is going to be hard. From September to the end of December, we are doing the show. That is it. You have to teach them things that you didn't even think, you don't remember learning. Like what? Highlighting your script. Because they don't know how to do that. So you have to teach them how to do that. Little things to like, you always need a pencil in rehearsal. You always need to bring your script to rehearsal. What but happens I'm if someone memorized. doesn't bring a script? Oh, I write it down. I write <gasps> down that they forgot their script. And then I'm like, did you lose it? Or did you just forget it for the day? And then if it's a pattern, then if they had a part like Charlie or something, I would speak to Charlie's understudy and say, hey, how are you doing with the lines? You, you think you're ready to step up? Because other Charlie doesn't seem to be that responsible. They lost their script. And I don't have any other scripts. <laughs> Like, I only have 70 scripts. So you tell them, like, you lose this. I don't have another one for you. I make, That's it. I, like, make a photocopy, and it looks janky, and it has, a, like, the big binder clip at the top. Yeah. And the kids hate carrying that thing around. You should go full Elizabethan style and make them handwrite hand out it. a cue script from your script. <laughs> oh, no. Make them do it. I mean, they you all can. you lose your script, write it out. Wow. That, that would... That would be something. That's hardcore. I'd be every child's favorite teacher. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Write your script. Now, 
again with this with the with the idea of the ensemble we've talked a lot about how to make a good actor mm-hmm. but you are also in charge of the the theater program mm-hmm. and there's much more to the theater than just the actor so when it comes to the other side of the stage mm-hmm. or even behind the stage how do you does that factor into the program that you make as well my kids who typically don't have like um, they're not Willie, they're not Charlie, they're not Grandpa Joe. Mm-hmm. Like I have one girl who literally told me, Miss Carlson, I'm sorry, I stink at auditioning. And I'm oh. like, because I was talking to her, I was like, Kaylee, you truly understand this stuff. You really are with it, you get it. And she's like, yeah, too bad I stink at auditioning. And I was like, no. And she's just like, I, I know I do. I just get very nervous. So I've made her because she just like kind of gets certain acting things at a deeper level than other kids. I sometimes have her pull kids and work with them for a little bit. Cool. So she'll take them outside the room and I completely trust her. If she was doing something that made me think that what she was doing wasn't helpful, she'd lose this job and she knows that. And she was actually doing some Stanislavski stuff. How? Like what specifically? So my little girl playing Veruca, she's very sweet. She's very nice. She's literally the complete opposite of Veruca. Mm -hmm. And Kaylee called her out on it. Kaylee was like, so you're really nice. And that's not who Veruca is. Veruca's, Veruca's a brat. So you need to be a brat. So for this, let's pretend that your mom comes home and your mom says, we're going to give your dog Oreo away. And then your mom turns around and goes, oh, I'm also going to take your cell phone because you don't need that anymore. And then your mom also says, you no longer go to your school because we're moving. So you can't see any of your friends anymore. I want you to do, I want it now from that place. Wow. And I'm sitting there like, she just gave her an excellent as if. Yeah. And I Want It Now was incredible because she really did it because it's playing pretend. Yep. And so yeah. she did it with playing pretend all those things were happening. And she had a full on temper tantrum because she thought her dog was getting taken away. Her phone was gone and she was moving. All things that this little girl knew would upset girl playing Veruca. Mm-hmm. Right. It was so good. It always comes back to this idea of the ensemble. You have to know who you're working with. Mm -hmm. So if you need to bring that out of them. And it's just so cool that you've developed a thing that instills that in kids from a very, very young age. I would would assume that by the time they're getting to third and fourth grade, like the performance level, at that point, it's kind of habit, is it not? Yeah, especially if the kids have picked to be there. Mm -hmm. Because there are certain kids who it's like, I can tell in second grade, even in kindergarten, you're not going to pick this. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to see you anymore after second grade. Right. Usually those kids who are saying yes at all times, taking risks, going there, know how to fail and pick themselves up because that's mm-hmm. another thing I like look for. Yeah. Like who's able to make a mistake and say, I made a mistake, but it's okay. And not, I made a mistake and I'm miserable now. One of the reasons that I love getting to work with, with young actors, sometimes just going back to those basics you get so far away from them in the professional world and mm-hmm. just re-grounding yourself back to what seems like too elementary to be useful is not only the most useful thing, but the most essential thing. So on top of Willy Wonka, our Wednesday club is doing these pieces. It could literally be whatever they wanted. Like mm-hmm. it could be a monologue, it could be a scene, it could be a poem. But I started with the question of what's the one problem that's facing your generation? You're asking this of third and fourth graders. Yes. Wow. And a lot of theirs were about being a kid and like actually being a kid and Mm. embracing being a kid and not trying to grow up too fast. Wow. 
there's three that are particular standouts right now. And one of them was this monologue about this kid. And he's just upset that all his friends are starting to be interested in girls. And he just wants to hang out. And he, he doesn't understand why everyone wants to grow up too fast. And then the next monologue is about a kid who's had to grow up too fast. And he cares deeply about his family mm. because his family is like going through some stuff and being torn apart. And yeah. then um, another one, again, my girl, Brianna, she, <laughs> she did this monologue where she's talking to um, her friend Bailey and we read it and we're like, oh, okay. So you and Bailey. And then Brianna goes, no, Bailey's my dog. And I'm like, oh, so the entire time she's talking, she's having a conversation with Bailey. And then at the end, it's a reveal that it's her dog. That's really clever. That's super cool. Right? So we're working on her right on we're working with her right now on trying to figure out like what stage directions are you going to put in there mm -hmm. to make the audience like to kind of make them think like wow, Bailey's acting a little weird. And then at the very end it's revealed that it's her dog. How are you going to shamal on them? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> in 3 minutes. <laughs> that should be one of your modules, shamalaning 101. Exactly. Yeah. That that's a unit. Just in the time that we have before we wrap up, first of all, this was wonderful. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. One of the things that I wanted to like briefly touch on, we've talked about so many different commonalities uh, in between teaching actors and then the professional acting world. One of the things that is universal is show brain. Ha! So because I have to do the costume and the sound and the light and the projection and the stage management and literally everything. I have to like tell the adults where they're all going. I have to make sure there are adults downstairs in the auditorium with us, making sure kids can go to the bathroom. So looking at everyone's schedules and figuring all that out. And then from there, making sure the kids know their transitions because the adults in the audience aren't there to be like, oh, Oompa Loompas, your song is coming up. You need to go backstage. No, mm -hmm. the Oompa Loompas need to know when this moment happens on this stage, I have to get myself up silently and go stage right. Not stage left, stage right. Mm -hmm. Because the kids all sit in the house while they're waiting to go backstage because we have no green room area. So mm -hmm. literally the kids are sitting there. They're watching the show as they're waiting to go on. And then when they're done, they come back and sit and then they go back and forth from the audience to the stage. So show brain, like literally everything is about the show. I start forget like things with the K through two classes start to become more theater appreciation-y. Uh -huh. Like we, this is definitely the time of the year where we watch Shrek the musical and we talk and discuss heavily Shrek the musical <laughs> and we talk about uh, prosthetics and um, all that Shrek the musical stuff. And that's what <laughs> K through two becomes because I'm so consumed with third and fourth grade. Mm -hmm. Specifically right now, my show brain is about this costume rental that was supposed to be shipped out on Tuesday that I hope was shipped out on Tuesday that I really need to arrive by this Tuesday so I can go try on all the costumes and all the kids oh. and make the necessary like costume adjustments, hem things, um, staple safety pin things if need be. But the lady never sent me like a tracking number. So I'm like, did you send my costumes oh, from no. Wisconsin? Oof. I oh, need wow. all 70 of these costumes to arrive now. Yeah. So I can try them on. I have to do 70 costume fittings like this week. <laughs> Personal hell. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that I have, I've noticed in my short time working with you is mm -hmm. it 
always looks effortless. And the, the amount of satisfaction, the sense of pride that I've seen these kids walk off the stage with is wonderful. Like, it's a thing that I've never really seen in an elementary school program before. The best thing is, like, when you have middle schoolers who will come back and be like, your, that time we did Lion King is still the best thing I've ever done. Wow. Even my, like, middle school shows aren't as good. And I'm like, why? (laughs) Let's unpack that more later. (laughs) Tell me who that theater teacher is and we'll discuss. (laughs) Because I'm in charge of them, too. Exactly. I'm like, I need to know what they did and how they're training you. (laughs) But also, I want to feel good about myself. (laughs) Also, that, too. (laughs) So, obviously, overseeing all of these schools must be an insane time commitment yes. and and emotional and mental component. Are you able to, while doing that, still find time for yourself to work outside of that artistically? Is it something that's even possible? It's something that when it comes up, I'm eager to jump on it because it's typically friends being like, hey, I'm doing this devised thing. Um, one of my friends recently was like, hey, we're trying to do an immersive theater devised experience about the bat mitzvah. Would you like to join? And I was like, if it weren't in November, yes, but next time you have something please let me know she's like Anne Bogart's assistant so I'm like oh man very much so let's do this like in her email signature (laughs) it says assistant to Anne Bogart I mean I would definitely I know I was like I would 100% write that in my email signature as well (laughs) and I think that's about the time Yay. To wrap it up there, Nicole Carlson, thank you so much for coming in. This thank was a wonderful you. conversation. This was so fun. Where can people keep up with the things that you're doing? How can they stay up to date with everything that you're working on? Or would you rather to keep all of these all these gems proprietary? No, we can. Okay. So my Instagram is Nick Gabcar, N-I-C-G-A-B-C-A-R. Awesome. This week, Amber LB tweeted at us on Twitter, which is the best way to tweet at someone, uh, unless you're a bird. All of you could be watching a live stream of This Wooden O podcast at This Wooden O right now if you become patrons of At Rude Grooms. It's worth it. Plus, it helps bring Shakespeare to life. Thank you, Amber. Thanks, Amber. We, we love bringing Shakespeare to life, and we love uh, tweeting, and we love live streaming. Um, then Amber also tweeted at Montgomery Sato and at The Daniel Kemper an amazing trailer of The Mandalorian where they swapped out all of the sound for the music from the Cats trailer. And it times out beyond perfectly. I literally watched it four times in a row. And I was sobbing at the end of the first one. And I didn't stop until 10 minutes after I stopped watching the fourth one. I don't know why. I remember replying to Amber's tweet of that trailer in disbelief. Just saying to myself, this should not work. It should not go together, and yet it does. You know what? I feel like that's, that's the perfect thing for this podcast. Right? Mandalorian and Cats mashup. Like, that's pretty on brand for mm-hmm. us. Yeah. If you would like to share your thoughts or send us a bottle of wine, you may tweet at us or Insta at us, at thiswouldknow, at rudegrooms. You can also email us, thiswouldknow, at rudegrooms.com. Uh, and we highly encourage you to record an audio question and send it to us so that we can play it back on the air. Continuing with our segment from last week, we are each going to recommend something for all of you listening that we are either watching, reading, playing, some piece of art or media that we are currently consuming. Monty, do you have yours or do you want me to start off? Oh, I will totally start this one. Great. So this week, I have uh, a television show on Apple TV+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Dickinson. Tell me more. So this show 
uh, is Haley Steinfeld from True Grit, uh, who was so amazing as a 13-year-old actress and is now beyond extraordinary at like 22 or 23. It is so unexpected, particularly in the first few episodes, there's almost a magic realist element to it. It's about Emily Dickinson, but it is not a traditional period piece in any way. The music is very contemporary. There are all kinds of stylistic things. Wiz Khalifa plays death. That's great. Yeah. (laughs) It's also our friend Chanaza. Chanaza's in this? Is on the show. Chanaza Uche. Yes. He's also a fantastic actor, went to NYU with us as well. And he played, uh, a few years ago, he played Othello opposite Rude Grimm's associate artist, Laura Piccoli's Desdemona. And on episode four or five for Emily Dickinson's Shakespeare Club, he's brought in and they're trying to get him to read Othello. And I have seen this episode. I will not tell you if he reads it or not, but I will tell you that that was like, what's happening? This is so crazy. The world is so small. This is insane. That's awesome. Also, an actress from one of Daniel and my favorite movies, Anna and the Apocalypse, mm-hmm. Ella Hunt, is on the show and is Emily Dickinson's very good friend. It's kind of like, think about A Knight's Tale, but about Emily Dickinson made in 2019. That's fantastic. Like that's what Dickinson is. I love that. It is already. so surprising and delightful and magic realist that it is very traditional period piece. And then all of a sudden the kids are talking like they're in a club in, in 2019. Mm-hmm. It's, it's awesome. I'm going to recommend a book, Leadership in Turbulent Times by Doris Kearns Goodwin, who, and this is possibly one of the nerdiest things you will ever hear me say, who is my favorite presidential historian. This is a book where she profiles four different presidents, Abraham Lincoln, FDR, Teddy Roosevelt, and Lyndon Johnson, both in their early life, leading up to their run for the presidency, and then their uh, their time in office as president. And in this, she looks at these four incredibly disparate people and the circumstances in which they grew up. She looks at their similarities, she looks at their differences, and draws connections to how these four wildly different figures all led to the same place, which is the highest office in the land. Mm-hmm. And she has this, this overarching question about what makes a leader. Is it something that you are inherently born with? Is it a skill that's developed over time? Is it a byproduct of the circumstances that you are putting over and throughout the course of your life? Or is it a combination of all three? And she uses the different examples of these men's lives to sort of ask you the question and present evidence to fill in the blanks. I'm finding it really fascinating to read. It's also really interesting to me which of the four presidents that she's profiling that I most identify with. Who is it? And I find more and more as I'm reading this book, I really am identifying with Teddy Roosevelt. I, I love his story because, I mean, he was born into wealth and circumstance to a certain degree, but he was also a very, like, yeah. sickly child. Oh, yeah. And he turned himself into this idea of what we think of as like a man's man and the pinnacle of health and masculinity and what have you. And he believed that one of the cornerstones of greatness or leadership was that it was something, it was a skill to be developed and that natural talent and affinity would only get you so far. 
It was really about, do you have the determination and clarity and focus to identify that this is what you want and how hard are you going to work for it, especially when it is difficult or something that does not come to you naturally. And what's that book called again? Leadership in Turbulent Times by Doris Kearns Goodwin. That is going to do it for this episode of This Wooden O. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Daniel Kemper. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Daniel Kemper, and be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Rude Grooms, and then on Twitter and Instagram at This Wooden O. And I'm Montgomery Sutton. You can find me on Instagram at my full name, Montgomery Sutton, and then on Twitter at Montgomery Sutto because my name is too long. Bye, everybody. We'll Bye. see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of This Wooden O, hosted and produced by Daniel Kemper and Montgomery Sutton. Original music is by Kara Arena. This Wooden O is brought to you by Rude Grooms, a Queens, New York-based theater company creating epically intimate theatrical experiences in public spaces, non-traditional venues, and new media. Learn more at rudegrooms.com or follow us on social media at Rude Grooms and at This Wooden O.